This message was given at Campus Fellowship's 2021 Winter Retreat in Estes Park, Colorado by Jacob Vansickle, pastor of Sacred City Church in Providence, Rhode Island. The theme of the conference was discern, how to discern God's will for your life. We hope you find this encouraging. Happy 2022, everyone. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 1, verses 26 and 28, through 28. In decision-making, you will quickly notice that there will be a lot of tension in making decisions. There will always be a cost with every decision, especially big decisions. Now, a few years ago, we were down in Florida for the spring break mission trip. This might have been like three years ago, four years ago. And I had a few conversations that really crystallized some things in my mind. One conversation was uh, Tom Short was down there with us. Who here has heard Tom Short? A good amount of you, okay? And he was answering questions from students, and somebody asked about, you know, how do I make decisions and, and all that. And he gave, I think, a really good answer. But he really emphasized the passion that you want to have for what you do with your job in particular. And um, after listening to that talk, I'm walking back with a guy who wasn't a student. He just came on the trip, and he's in his 20s, and he'd been working his job for five-plus years. And he's like, you know what? I'm not really that passionate about my job. It's, you know, it's, it allows me to have a good schedule. It allows me to have money. But, you know, I, d- I don't really think I have that much of a passion for it. And I'm afraid that a lot of these students are going to go out and not experience the same amount of, you know, like have the same experience as me. And I agreed with them. I think that if you ask any of the people in maybe their late 20s, oftentimes you're like, you know, this isn't as exciting as I thought it would be. I'm just working this job. <clears throat> And then I had another conversation, that same mission trip, uh, with a, a woman who was a junior in college, senior in college, and she was a theater major and actually very skilled in what she, she did. She was very skilled as an actress. And she was trying to decide what she would do after she graduated. And I'm like, okay, what do you, most people in your major do in your, kind of your field? Well, she, you know, the ultimate goal would be in theater and Broadway and all of that. And I'm like, okay, what's the track? Well, she's like, the track is you usually get on with traveling with some sort of theater production. And you kind of work your way up to higher and higher levels of theater production. And I'm like, okay, how long would that usually take? It's like, sometimes that can take like 10 years before you can find a place that you're going to be. And she was wrestling with, you know, 10 years of moving around. It's like, how am I going to be involved in a church, or how am I going to ever start a family? And she was feeling this tension. At the same time, this wasn't at the the mission trip, but I had some friends who were planning on going overseas or getting ready to go overseas to go and reach unreached people groups, but also with the realization that they still had people in their own family that didn't know Jesus and feeling that tension. You know, I want to reach people over there, but I still have people in my own family that don't know him. Tension. And I think one of the keys to understanding the tension are three fronts that God has called Christians to wrestle through and to win at. 
and to emphasize. So I'm going to read Genesis 1, 26 through 28. We'll pray and kind of look at these three fronts. Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. This is what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to make wise decisions, to live in a healthy tension of obedience to you. Help us to see the, thing, see the things in your word and see reality clearly. Amen. Okay, so when we look at this passage, let me highlight a few things. We see family. They're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. Could you imagine Adam and Eve? It's like, okay, here's the world, fill it. You know, it's like family, fill this earth. We also see vocation. They're su- supposed to subdue it. And then we see complete intimacy with God. We know from other passages in the early part of Genesis that God walked with them in the garden. Complete intimacy with God. Worshiping him. But then the fall happens. They sin against God. They rebel against God. Sin enters the world. And those three things are corrupted. The work becomes corrupted. God tells Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you will be working. Thorns and thistles are entered into the whole thing, which this is a way of picturing that the fall is going to work its way into all work in subduing this earth. And the fall works its way into family. That childbearing and childrearing is going to be difficult and painful in a way that it wasn't going to be before. And then that intimacy with God was broken. They no longer walked with God in the garden. They no longer were in the garden. There is brokenness there. So now we live in an age of redemption. God wants to redeem vocation and subduing this earth. God wants to redeem the family and filling this earth. And God, through his church, wants to redeem intimacy with God having intimacy with humanity again by his spirit and his gospel. Three fronts, vocation, family, and church. And when I went through those three examples, that's where the tension lied. They, they were wrestling over those three fronts. Well, if I go and I travel for 10 years, it's really going to come at a cost over here. Okay, I'm working this job. I'm not really passionate about it, but I get to win over here. Three fronts with three tensions. And I'm going to propose that every single one of you needs to win in all three fronts. It's like a three-front war, okay? And you need to win on all three fronts if you're going to win the war. But 
the application of those three fronts and what faithfulness will look like in those three fronts will look different from person to person. Okay? So front number one, vocation. I'm going to go through a few verses, and I want you to think through it in your own particular life. Okay, how is this going to work out in my own particular life? Some of these verses I'm going to go really quick through because we've already gone through them. So, for example, Genesis 128. We just read that. Okay, subdue the earth. How are you going to do that in your own particular life? And then Genesis 9-1, how we know that it's not just Adam and Eve. He gives it to Noah again for all of humanity. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12, it says, And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So each and every one of you, you need to work. And you need to work in such a way that you're dependent on no one. Then Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You know, it's not just good enough to not steal. You know, if, if you're driving down the street and you see someone asking for money. Now, I know that a lot of people... Um, I taught for a few summers in a homeless shelter. I know there are a lot of people with mental illness that really don't have anything to do. But there are also a lot of people that could work. It's not like, oh, at least they're not stealing. Well, that's not the point. The point is we are to work so we have some left over to share. That's the point. You know, so if let's say you had really rich father or grandparents and you could just live off their money for the rest of your life. Would that be a good thing to do? The answer is no. You are to work and produce and share. You are all called to do that. Vocation. The next front is family. And as we go into it, we're going to start to see some of the tension between these fronts. I think there is intentional tension put there by God that keeps a balance there. The next front is family. Here's 1 Timothy 5, 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than unbeliever. If you're going to be a Christian, you need to provide for your family. You need to provide for your family. The context of this are the widows. So if it's like taking care of of your parents when they're sick and when they're getting old, and then especially your immediate family. When you get to the point of having kids and those under your immediate sphere of influence. And Paul is saying, if you don't do that, just stop calling yourself a Christian. It's like the ABCs. It's pretty basic. Take care of your family. And you see how these two connect? Vocation over here, family over here. They come together. They have purposes together. So you could overemphasize vocation in such a way that you don't take care of things over here. Does that, does that make sense? See that tension? The next verse is this, uh, 1 Timothy 5.4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. 
So this is the situation. You know, we have to think of a time where the mortality rate is much higher than it is today. So you have uh, a woman who's, you know, at a variety of different ages, and her husband dies. What is she supposed to do with her time? How is she supposed to focus? And Paul says, start with your family. If you have kids, start with your kids. If you have your grandkids, start with your grandkids. If you don't have any of those, return something to your parents. Make some... <clears throat> Return to your parents. A focus on the family. Taking care of your own. And now is the system of like, yes, the church was supposed to take care of widows, but first their immediate family was supposed to take care of them. I recently received a text from Mark Elliott. Some of you guys know Mark Elliott. And he's studying for actuary exams. And he sent me a screenshot from his computer of some of the lessons that he's learning. And the, the lesson, the actual actuary, and actuaries, for those that don't know, they're the people that run the numbers for insurance. So insurance works, okay? And the training says, in traditional cultures, people relied on their family to survive. That's not the way it is in modern cultures. The government has replaced the family. That's, what, that's the, in the actual training. That's, what it, that's not verbatim, but that's basically what it's, what it's saying. The government has replaced the family, meaning you don't, when you need help, you don't go to your immediate family anymore. You go to the government. It's in a new place. That is not the way God has designed it. It's the family first. I'm not saying that the government can't have any role. I'm not, I'm not saying the government can't have any role in that, but it should be the family first. The next verse is this, 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5. He must manage his own household well. This is uh, being written to elders or pastors. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So to be a pastor, to be an elder and in church, you have to take care of your own family first. So you see attention between the other front of the church. If you're leading, you have to take care of things over here first to lead this thing called the church. Attention. Or in Titus 2, 4 through 5, here's another verse. It says, And so train the young women. This is written to older women and how they should disciple younger women. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Okay, how can we, they train these young women in such a way that people won't just revile the word of God, that people will see, wow, the word of God works. And the way they are supposed to train those young women is when at home first. When at home first. The family. And then we have the third front, the church. Matthew 6, says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The, all these things here is provision of clothing and shelter and food. It's provision and Jesus is saying, take this to the bank. If you seek my kingdom first, I will take care of you. 
Now, you see that tension? It's not contradicting, but it is a tension in which God tells his people to work hard with their hands so they don't rely on anyone. But at the same time, he also tells his people that if you seek my kingdom first, I'll take care of you. You see how that creates a tension there? And it's a necessary tension. We need to work hard, but also put ourselves out there in faith, knowing that God will protect us and take care of us. The next verse is this, Luke 8, 19 through 21. It says, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So imagine, imagine this. <laughs> well, first, imagine yourself in the same situation. <laughs> it's like you're hanging out with your bros, you know, <laughs> and, you're, and your parents come with your brothers and sisters. Hey, your family's here. My family are those who obey the word of God. It's like, oh, man, <laughs> don't let your mom hear you say that. It's like, but that's what Jesus said, and he gives a priority there. Now, does this mean that God doesn't care about the family? Obviously not. We just read all those verses. He deeply cares about the family, but he's shifting our focus. It's like there's, an, there's another family that he's building, his church, and there's his church the real is even a deeper sense of a family of those who obey the will of God, even for Jesus. And he did, you know, he had a very godly mom. So his mom would be included in that family, but he was using that as a teaching opportunity for everyone there. Real family is found when people are obeying God. The next verse is this, and it really fits. It's also in Luke, Luke 18, 29 through 30. This is what Jesus said. He said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. He says, If you leave some of these things behind, you will be rewarded. Now, again, intention. Does this mean that as a parent, you know, I can say, my, my daughter Annabelle's in the, in, in the back. She's about to be seven. It does not mean I can say, peace, Annabelle. Figure it out. You know, it's like, no, that's not what it means. But it does mean that when I, let, let's say she's out of the house, she's thriving in another home, I might feel this tension of like, okay, I'm retired now. I could stay close to the grandkids, or I could go and do this, or I could go do, do that. And I, I need to understand that if I make a decision that might even come at the cost of being as present as I could be with my grandkids or something like that, that it will be rewarded. There's a tension there. The same tension that those missionaries were feeling. I still have some unbelieving parents. Should I go overseas? It's a tension. It's not, in the e- it's not easy to answer that one. And Jesus is saying that he will reward you. And I love how he says, in this age, is it, yeah, in this age, or, you will see many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. 
So there are even rewards that he gives us in this time. I have some friends that, because they're going to be missionaries, the parents of the bride didn't go to the wedding. Losing a family. But in this time, they've also been rewarded with family. It was a beautiful thing to see the church rally around them and be their family and be there for them. And this time they were rewarded. And I've seen that over and over and over again. People make decisions to follow Jesus and their family are like, no way. And the church comes around them and says, we'll be there. We'll be your family. Attention. And the last verse is this, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We've been reading this the entire time. But it's like that will come at a cost at those two fronts. So how do you balance it? Before we talk about how you balance it, I'm going to give you a few minutes. And I want you to write down, you're thinking through your decisions in life, and I want you to write down the tensions that you feel. You know, we're going through these verses. What tensions do you personally feel in your decisions when it comes to these three fronts? Three-ish minutes. Okay, so you have some tensions down that you feel. The next question, I'm going to give you a few more minutes, is when you look at those verses, what are some things that you see that probably need to change? Okay, you're feeling the tension because you're, you're leaning too heavily one way, okay? Now, again, as I said, the Christian life will be living in the tension. There's no escaping the tension, but sometimes the tension is because of an imbalance in your own life. You know, it's like you're leaning too heavily one way. So I'm going to give you a few minutes, just a little bit of self-reflection. Is there any of the tension? It's because, you know, when I read through those verses, that's definitely not what I'm aspiring to. You know, I'm definitely not aspiring to this within the family, or I'm definitely not aspiring to this within the church, or this within vocation. My life <clears throat> does not line up with that verse, okay? Two minutes, just a little bit of self-reflection, and you'll have more time after the session. Okay, so you've written down some of those tensions. Let me give a few examples of how to live in that tension. That first guy that was saying, you know what? I feel like some people might have this idea of doing just the most idealistic thing, being passionate about their work. You wake up, yes, I get to work today, and they go off to work, and it's not going to be like that for most of them. And I, I agree with them. It's not going to be like that for most of them. A key of, see, of seeing all of life, you have to see life holistically. So although he was, he was working a job that he wasn't necessarily passionate about from 9 to 5, he made a good wage with really easy hours, like just a straight 9 to 5. He didn't have to take it home. And it allowed him to be free for his future family, in his church. So although he wasn't as passionate about that specific vocation and what he was doing from nine to five, it allowed him to excel in other areas like his church and his family. Now, let's, uh, let's say that same company 
Instead of in the position that he was in, he was the CEO of that company. Now, would that position as the CEO give him the same type of flexibility? No. It's, it's like, it's hard to be a CEO. That's why not a lot of people do it. It's like, it's really hard. It would take up more of his time, more of his stress and anxiety and thoughts. He would not have the same flexibility. In fact, he would create some tension within his family and his service within the church. Now, this does that mean it would be wrong for him to be the CEO? No. It's just he, you have to go into decisions knowing the tension. Knowing the tension. Now, would it be wrong if you, you know, the... They come down and they said, you know, we've been looking at all of your emails, they're pristine emails, and we would like to make you the CEO, okay? Would it be wrong if you took the position and in the process lost his family? Would that be wrong? That would be wrong. Or would it be wrong that if he became the CEO and in the process he's like, you know what, I'm not involved in the church at all anymore? Would that be wrong? That would be wrong. If his life... Pursuing God just tanks, but it will come at a cost. Let's say the, the girl that was pursuing being an actress or in the arts. Culturally speaking, the arts is some of the most strategic places to have influence on the culture. Okay? I, I bet you've been influenced by movies and books and music more than you even realize. Like, I bet it would be scary if we just knew how much those things influence the way we think and the way we feel. Extreme power there. But it also comes with a huge cost. Like, if you want to be a movie producer, there are only a few places in the United States that you could really go to really excel. And they are not the best environments. And I, I, I have... I know some people that have pursued it. It's like they are not the best environments for Christians. They're really hard environments for Christians. Does this mean that you can't be a faithful Christian and be a movie director? No, but don't be stupid either. You have to realize the cost. You have to go into it realizing that it's like, okay, I can't lose my family and I can't lose my relationship with God and involvement in his church if I'm going to pursue this. There's a tension. Let's say you want to build a home. You're a homemaker and love your kids and build a vibrant home, which is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. But can you overemphasize that in such a way that you're not winning on the other two fronts? Certainly you can. Certainly you can. Realize the tension and live in the tension. I'm living in the tension right now. We knew that moving to Rhode Island to plant a church would be hard for our kids. Like, there are going to be some things of, like, getting our house ready. There are times it's like you'd walk into our house and there's, like, tools over here and paint over here because you're trying to get this whole house put together. It was nuts. It's still nuts. It's a tension. And I always feel like I'm trying to hold over here and hold over here and hold over here and keep the tension. 
So this is what we're going to do. When you go out and you're going to spend some time with God, and you have to spend time with him in such a way that you're like, and say, God, I'm going to win on all three fronts. And then pray through, God, what is that going to look like in my life? Because some of you might lean more heavily one way or the other. That is going to happen within this church. And I think, that, I think there's some freedom within that. But you have to win on all three. And then get together and discuss it as your group. What is that? You know, you know talk about the tension. You know, some of you probably have some questions about that tension. Bring it up to the group. Guys, what do you think about this? You know, what, how do you think this would work out? And talk about it within your group. There are way more verses than what we went through today. Way more. Bring them up. Share them within your group. And try to live within that tension. I'm going to pray for your time. And we're going to have the band come up and lead us in a few more songs. And I'm just really excited about the conversations that you guys are going to have today. Let's pray. Father, pray for all of these people. And the way that you're leading them. I pray that every single one of them would win with their family, that would win with their vocation and their work, and would win in their life within your church and reaching this world. We pray that we can be a part of the redemption of this world. Give us guidance. Amen. If you found this encouraging, we hope you'll subscribe or follow for more content. Or go to our website, campusfellowship.com, for other resources. Campus Fellowship is a student organization whose goal is to come alongside local churches to reach college campuses. Thanks for listening.